Nice and high. All right. <clears throat> Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. All right. So I don't know who your football team is. I know who your football team is, but <laughs> but uh, we're just praying for just a good a good game, right? Right. That's what we're praying for. So, you guys, all good? Okay. Let's pray and let's let's dive into God's word. Uh, Julian, we're good. Mule, where's Julian? Oh, good. Okay. All right. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day and Lord. Um, so grateful that we're able to gather this morning, and Lord, knowing that there's a lot of sickness going around, Lord, I pray for protection and that we'd be wise and cautious, Lord, and so just to cover our bodies, and Lord, be with those who are home sick right now, Lord, that you would touch them, and Father, that they would, Lord, recover, so Father, we pray for that. Bless our service today. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts as we open your word to hear you speak to us. And Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. I pray it's in Jesus' name and all the gospel said, <clears throat> amen. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 is today's text. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 17, we're going to finish chapter 2. We're now in part 4 in our series, From the Heart. Say, From the Heart. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from verses 1 through 11. We, didn't, uh, we were not in this series last week because of Christmas, but I want to do a quick review from verses 1 through 11 of this chapter. And you might remember that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct the Corinthian believers, and it was a corrective letter. It was a, a firm corrective letter. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, you might remember this, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, Paul, what he does, he addresses the immediate problem of sin within the Corinthian church. And the chapter opens with Paul saying, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And we know that it was a case of incest between a professed Christian brother and his stepmother. And what Paul does, Paul rebukes the Corinthian church for pridefully, listen now, and boastfully tolerating sin in their fellowship. And Paul's like, I need to say something. I can't keep silent here. I need to say something about this. So Paul not only exposes the man's sin, but also the church's sin, the sin of refusing to discipline this man. And you see the church should have been mourning. They should have been brokenhearted uh, that the situation was an ugly stain upon their witness in the world and, and horribly grievous to God. And Paul's like, you guys aren't even exercising church discipline. And he says, you know, pretty much what he's saying, if you did, it was done superficially. There's no real action taken here. This guy obviously hasn't repented or been removed from the fellowship. So Paul's telling him to exclude him from the fellowship. So Paul wrote this firm letter, speaking of 1 Corinthians, to correct them. Say, correct them. Now here in 2 Corinthians, we see, we see this guy, that this guy who committed this incest is now sorrowful and repentant. And Paul's like, it's time to bring him back, this guy, back into 
the fellowship. Someone say amen. And you might remember the two points that I gave you in that text. And, and the first point that I gave you in that text was the tears. And that was found in verses 1 through 4. And Paul knew that another painful visit wouldn't be good for him because the constant conflict with the Corinthian believers could really damage his relationship with them. So instead of coming and having uh, to be heavy-handed with the believers there, he wanted them to work out their problems first, and then he could visit them with joy. And you see, a letter to them was better than a personal visit because a letter could show Paul's heart. It could show his love for them. You can see Paul's love for them. And Paul's like, it was love that led me to write to you uh, the letter, 1 Corinthians, and I did so with tears. It broke his heart to do it. And Paul's saying, but I did it because I love you and I wanted the best for you. And so he wrote the letter so they would know how much he loved them. And the second point of verses of the text uh, two weeks ago of the text was the treatment of the offender, and that's in verses 5 through 11. And what Paul does, Paul recommends that the Corinthian believers forgive the brother who had sinned and repented among them. And Paul is now saying that the person has paid enough. He's paid enough. Uh, that person has learned his, their lesson. And now Paul, he's saying now it's time to forgive him. It's time to move on. And now Paul isn't saying this just because he knows how sorrowful the other person is. He's saying this because the man had truly, say truly, repented. And the punishment was, Paul says, sufficient because it had brought repentance. And now the time had come for words of forgiveness and of comfort and of counsel to encourage this brother and to assure him of the fact that he's back now in the fellowship because the purpose of because the purpose of church discipline is to restore, not to destroy, or to take revenge. Paul, now what he does, he ends his appeal by reminding the Corinthian believers, all believers, the importance, say importance, the importance of forgiving each other. I mean, how important is that, right? Forgiving each other. Why forgive others? Well, look at verse 11. He says, in order that Satan might not outwit us but we are not unaware of his schemes. And Paul's point is, if you don't forgive this man now, now that he has repented, you've allowed yourself to be tricked by Satan. And you see, Paul was well aware of the divisive operation of Satan within the Christian community. So he says, forgive this guy. Okay, he's paid enough. He's repented. He's sorrowful. Now it's time to forgive him and welcome him back in the community. Someone say amen. So this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is The Aroma of Christ. Everyone say that. Three points from today's text, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is Paul's concern. Write that down, Paul's concern. Paul's concern, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 13. I want you to follow me here. And Paul writes, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. I want to stop there. This takes us back to verses 1 through 4. Back to verses 1 through 4. And Paul is responding to why he had not come to see them yet. And he wasn't ready to make another painful visit. And this is why Paul delayed. God opened a door to him in Troas for the gospel. God was moving. Say, God was moving. So Paul stayed in Troas. Let's move on to verse 13. 
I still had no peace of mind. The, the English Standard Version renders it like this. My spirit was not at rest. Did you guys get that? My spirit was not at rest. Then he says, because I did not find my brother Titus there, speaking of his spiritual brother, Titus there. So I said goodbye to them there in Troas and went on to Macedonia. Now, Troas was a city in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is now modern-day Turkey. Got it? So Troas was a city in Asia Minor, east of Corinth, on the opposite side of the Aegean Sea. And so God had provided opportunities for Paul to preach the gospel. And he had opened a door for Paul to preach the gospel there in Troas, as he had done once before in that city. And you see, Paul's very, and we know this about Paul, his very heartbeat, say heartbeat, was to preach Jesus. I mean, he was just compelled to preach Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who had come to take away the sins of the world, right? That was Paul's message everywhere he went. And there was an open door in Troas to, pe- to, excuse me, to preach that message, but something happened. Something happened. Paul didn't stay in Troas, right? The text is clear. He didn't stay in Troas. Instead, he left quickly to go across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia because what he was looking, he was looking for Titus, who had news from the church at Corinth. Now, so I want you to follow me here. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth bearing the first letter written to the church there with the hope of meeting Titus again in Troas. And you see, Paul was anxious to hear a report from Titus regarding the well-being of the church in Corinth. But when Paul arrived in Troas, Titus wasn't there, right? The text is very clear about that. Titus wasn't there, which deeply troubled Paul. It troubled his heart. It caused great concern. If you go back to the text, it says, troubling his spirit or, or no peace of mind. Follow me here. Clearly, Paul is deeply, deeply burdened, fearful. I, wouldn't, I would even say that he was perhaps discouraged, right? Discouraged about what was happening in the Corinthian church and desired to know if things had improved and wondering, where's Titus? I was expecting Titus to be here to hear the report of the Corinthian church, and he's nowhere to be found. And he was troubled. Okay, and he was so troubled that he left that open door in Troas, are you guys with me, to go find Titus in Macedonia. Now that probably seemed kind of odd to his friends because as an evangelist, Paul, as an evangelist, Paul preached the gospel wherever he went. In fact, as, as a seaport town, Troas would be a crucial, amazing place to establish, to plant a church. But Paul didn't stay there. He left. And perhaps he was so troubled in his spirit that he couldn't concentrate on his work. And so even though there was an open door in Troas, Paul felt that he couldn't do, it all, that he couldn't do all that he needed to if he didn't have his brother, his spiritual brother, Titus, with him there. And so he felt compelled. Now, you got to get this now. Paul felt compelled, say compelled, to find Titus, then to felt compelled to go look for Titus, to find Titus, then to minister or evangelize in Troas. Let me put it this way, and you got to get this. Paul's concern as a pastor overcame his concern as an evangelist. You got it? We see Paul's, Paul's pastor's heart here. 
Okay, rather than evangelizing in Troas, which he had an open door and could have done that, his shepherd's heart was to go look for his brother, spiritual brother, Titus. You guys got that? So his concern as a pastor overcame his concern as an evangelist. And Paul felt more compelled to find Titus than to minister in Troas. And Paul did eventually find Titus. And we'll see that as we move on this series in chapter 7, verse 6. Write that down, chapter 7, verse 6. So that's Paul's concern, right? Number two is Paul's confidence. Say that. Come on, come on, say Paul's confidence. And here, what Paul does, he suddenly breaks off the story of why he delayed so long in returning to Corinth, and he leaves it at a tense moment not to pick it up again until much later in this letter. We'll see that down the line, okay, in in this series. Let's look at verse 14. If you're at verse 14, say amen. And I want you to notice the change. you got to get this, the change from verse 13, right, where Paul has no rest, no peace of mind, He has a troubled spirit, right? In verse 13, right? To now, an amazing outburst of emotions and praise. You see, despite of of, of all of Paul's struggles and all of Paul's challenges, excuse me, and discouragements that he faced in ministry, he saw in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, the faithfulness of God. Are you with me? Let's look at verse 14. But thanks be to who? To God. Where are you in your life right now? Are you discouraged? Are you distressed? Is your spirit troubled? Whatever it is, but thanks be to God. You can thank God in the midst of it, not for it, but in the midst of your situation. And this is what Paul did, but thanks be to God. And he says this, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Got it? And through us, love this, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That's an awesome verse. Now, Paul, we know that Paul, through his letters, he used, he used metaphors, right? He used metaphors. He used a boxing metaphor, a running the race metaphor, an agricultural metaphor. And here, what he uses, he uses a military metaphor. And the idea here is borrowed from an ancient Roman triumph, and it was a a special tribute that Rome gave to their conquering generals. And it was a huge parade. And by the way, friends, his readers, Paul's readers, would be familiar with a Roman triumph. Are you with me so far? And you see, if if, if a commander-in-chief had victory over the enemy on foreign soil, and if he killed Uh, at least 5,000 enemy soldiers and gained new territory uh, for the emperor, then the commander-in-chief was entitled to a Roman triumph. So this is the way it went. I want you to follow me here. The procession would include the commander riding in a golden chariot surrounded by his officers. And the parade would also include a display of the spoils of battle as well as the captive enemy soldiers. The Roman priest would also be in the parade carrying burning incense. Say that, burning incense to pay tribute to the victorious army. The procession would follow a special route through the city and would end at the Circus Maximus where the captives would entertain the people by fighting wild beasts. It was a special day in Rome 
when the citizens were treated to a full-scale Roman triumph. So, so what, what was Paul driving at here? How does this apply to the believer today? Well, the point is this. The point is that Jesus Christ, our great commander-in-chief, came to foreign soil, speaking of this earth, and completely defeated the enemy, Satan. Good place to say amen. But instead of killing over 5,000 persons, Jesus gave life to more than 5,000 persons. And you find that in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, in Acts chapter 4, verse 4. And there you'll see there was 3,000 persons plus at Pentecost, and another 2,000 plus after Pentecost, and not to mention thousands upon thousands, and throughout history, millions of people have come to Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ claimed the spoils of battle, the spoils of battle, which is the lost souls who had been in bondage to Satan and sin. And that's an amazing triumph, and that's an amazing victory, right? Now, now there's more. The victorious general's son, sons, excuse me, would walk behind their father's chariot, sharing in the victory. And you see, that's where believers are today. That's where you and I, if you're safe, say amen. That's where we are. We are following in Jesus Christ's triumph. Got it? Now, perhaps for Paul, the situation in Asia or Corinth didn't look like a victory, but he believed God. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. He believed God. Paul believed God, and God turned defeat into victory. That was Paul's confidence. That should be your and I confidence as well. Right? That no matter what we're going through, praise be to God, right, friends? That we are following in Jesus Christ's triumph. Got it? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? We are triumphant in Christ. Come on, I need someone to agree with me here. We are triumphant in, in Christ. And that's our confidence. Again, to the text. But thanks be to God who always, get that, say always. Circle that, highlight that, underline that. Not sometimes, not occasionally, not when it feels like it, no. Who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Always. Man, isn't, that should bring us a sense of confidence in our walk with Christ. Always. Say always. Romans 8.37. Some of you might know this by heart. Knowing all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. Get this. In the Christian life, okay, we're not fighting for victory. Got that? We're not fighting for victory. Rather, we are fighting from a position of victory. Got it? A position of victory. So if you're saved, then you're triumphant. You're victorious in Christ. Some of y'all got to remind yourself of your position in Christ. When the devil attacks you in times of discouragement, you got to remind yourself. My position, right, friends? Right? We are fighting from a position of victory. I am, you are, we are triumphant in Christ. Let's look at the text again. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us, say through us, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. 
And Paul's point is this. Whether I'm in Troas, whether I'm in Corinth, whether I'm on my way to Macedonia or with Titus or separated from Titus, Paul's like, there's always a victory, man. There's always a victory. It's got to look for it, right? Because no matter where we go, we're about the business. And Paul's, this is what Paul's saying. We're about the business to capture, to win souls for Christ. That you and I, we live, we walk in triumph, in victory. Got it? Here's the lesson, another lesson. Share the gospel. Come on, someone say that. Share the gospel. Friends, you need to understand this. If you are saved, we serve his purpose of spreading the truth of the gospel down every single place where he leads us along. Got it? We spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him. You and I are called to share the gospel. It's the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of the knowledge of who Christ is. Are you guys with me? Wherever we go, whatever path he leads us to, whether at work, at the store, whether at Starbucks, whether in the neighborhood, God opens up these avenues for you and I to spread the gospel, the fragrance of the knowledge of who he is. Got it? Verses 15 and 16. For we are to God the aroma of Christ. There's the title of the message, say the aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Verse 16. To the one we are the smell of death. Did you get that? Got it? Speaking of non-believers. To the other the fragrance of life to believers. And who is equal to such a task. Are you guys with me? In fact, the fragrance of life is to those who are receiving the gospel. And he says, and who is equal to such a task? Well, Paul calls Christians, again, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ and also what? The aroma, come on, say it, aroma of of Christ. You see here, Paul still has in mind the Roman procession. And perhaps he's thinking of the incense that the priest swung as the general and his soldiers marched through Rome. And the sweet smell meant victory, right? Meant victory, but to the captives, the same smell was a fragrance of death. And while the crowds cheered, triumph, 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 victory, victory, the captives knew that, that, that they were marching, listen now, marching to their own execution. Now, it's true that physically, and you've got to get, it, get this now, right? We know this. Physically, uh, we all have an odor, right, that flows from our body, flows from our lives, right? Whether it smells good or bad, whether it smells nice, or as my grandson, Jenny, would say, poochy, okay? All right? We all have an odor, right, that flows from our bodies. Our, we could say our lives. If you're safe, say amen. Spiritually, okay, spiritually, we have an odor, right, a smell as well. And that is a spiritual aroma, a spiritual fragrance that's going to flow from our lives. Now, we all have experienced bad B.O., right? Okay, right? That's body odor, right? Don't look at them this morning. Come on, all right? But there is also such a thing as bad S.O., Spiritual odor, right? Are you with me? Listen, how, how you smell spiritually 
will depend upon your closeness to Jesus, your fellowship with him. Now, I know and I can see when someone is consistent, listen, someone is in consistent, constant fellowship with Jesus. I know it. I can see it, friends. I can see it. There's a spiritual fragrance a spiritual aroma flowing from their lives in such a way that their presence in any circumstance makes a difference. And there are many of you here that I see that in your lives. I just can see it. I know it that you guys have spent time with Jesus. Are you with me? Question, what kind of spiritual aroma or fragrance flows from your life? Is it good SO or BSO? Or bad, excuse me, bad SO. What is it? So here's the lesson. Ready? Spend time with Jesus. Say that. Spend time with Jesus. That you and I would spend consistent, constant, daily quality time with Jesus. Are you spending time with him? We have all these New Year's resolutions now that we're in 2022, right? And I bet you most of our New Year's resolutions, I want to get closer to God, right? So now it's time, friends, to spend time with Jesus, spend time with him, because how you smell spiritually will depend, as I said, right, upon your closest to Jesus, your fellowship with him. Let's look at the text again. For we are God's, for we are, we are, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing to the one you're a smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. So to the one, it was a sweet scent of triumph, right? To the other, the reminder of imminent death, right? Another example would be like this. It would be the sun which shines on wax and softens it, and the sun which shines on clay and hardens it. This is the same with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It either melts you to repentance or it hardens you to greater stubbornness. And either way, friends, it will have some effect on you. The gospel of Christ, the truth of his word, will have some effect on you. In fact, as you hear this message right now, as you're hearing this message right now, you cannot leave untouched. You will leave for better or for worse. It all depends where you're at. Follow me, the same message produces life in one and reveals death in the other. And this is what hangs in the balance every time we speak of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, listen. The gospel is a two-edged sword that cuts both ways at the same time. And what it does, it reveals our sin and then offers us an eternal remedy. It explains our guilt, and what it does, it shows us the way to forgiveness. It strips away from us every self-centered excuse we have. Then it offers to clothe us in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're safe, say amen. What a blessing. I don't know about you, but what a blessing it is to be saved. Isn't it a blessing to be saved? No, I'm not convinced. Yeah? And I want you to think about, listen, I want you to think of all that we, you and I as believers, all that we receive when we come to Christ. Sometimes we forget this 
But we've got to remind ourselves what we receive when we come to Christ. We receive forgiveness. We are now reconciled to God. We are adopted in the family of God. We have new birth. We have new life. We have eternal life. We have peace with God and the peace of God in our lives. We are declared righteous. We are accepted by God. We are redeemed from our sins. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus Christ himself intercedes for us. We have a high priest in heaven who fills our weakness. We are equipped to serve God. We have an eternal inheritance. We are citizens of heaven. We are new creations in Christ. We are predestined to become like Christ. Christ lives in us. We are more than conquerors. All things, listen now, all things work together for the good, right? Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We will someday be raised immortal and incorruptible. We will someday reign with Christ. How amazing, how awesome is that? you got to get excited about that. Yeah? And yet, and yet, some people don't want that. They don't want that. They can't understand it. They don't believe it. They don't want to receive it. And they think it's not true. They think that we as Christians are delusional and deluded to believe it. And some object us telling them what Christ has done for us and that they need him too. And I want you to notice something. As we're talking about this right now, there is no middle ground when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no neutrality. Are you with me? There are only two groups. Life and death, believer, unbeliever, saved, unsaved, a child of God or a child of the devil. Jesus said, write this down in Matthew 12, 30. Write this down, Matthew 12, 30. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. Did you get that? That's Jesus' words. He who is not with me is against me. Two groups, right? Two groups. You're in one of them. One of them, which one? Are you with him or against him? Are you saved or unsaved? Huh? Are you lost or found? Look again at the text. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Then he says this, and who is equal to such a task? You know what the answer is? No one. Not one. Not me. Not you. In ourselves, let's say in ourselves. Listen, in ourselves, we cannot do what God has called us to in ourselves, we can't do anything, right? We, we can't in ourselves do what God has called us to. Our sufficiency is solely from him and in him alone. So I want you to jump to chapter 3, verse 5. Just the next chapter right there, chapter 3, verse 5. And the American Standard Version says it like this. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to account anything as from ourselves, but our sufficiency, say sufficiency, is from God. I can't do anything on my own. My sufficiency, your sufficiency, comes from God. Got it? As I share the gospel, as you share the gospel, as I live the Christian life, you live the Christian life. Can't do it on our own. My sufficiency to walk the Christian life, to share the gospel, yours as well, comes from Him and Him alone. Can I get an Amen. Number three, here we go, is Paul's character. Paul's character. Write that down. Paul's character. Now, I want you to notice, notice his motives 
were clear. And I love that about Paul. His motives were, were clear. Look at verse 17a. Unlike so many, we do not peddle, say peddle, the word of God for profit. Now the word peddle is from a Greek verb, and it's pronounced kap ale uo. Say kap ale uo. Say that. Ale uo. And it means to corrupt. Kap ale uo. It came to refer to a con man, uh, to, to a street hustler selling a knockoff a cheap imitation of the real thing. It has the idea of adulterating. Or how about this, watering down. Say watering down. For gain, okay? Adulterating or watering down for gain. And it was especially used of a person selling wine who watered down the wine for bigger profit. Got it? There were those in Paul's day, as there are in our day today, preaching and using God's word to get rich off it. For financial reward, gain, for personal benefit, they sell and they preach a watered-down gospel. I mean, you just turn on TV. Sometimes you can see some of those folks. Yeah? But not Paul. He wasn't like others who preached a watered-down gospel. He preached truth. And I love that about Paul. He preached the truth of God's word. His goal, say his goal, okay, Paul's goal in preaching the gospel wasn't for personal benefit, wasn't for financial gain, friends, but for and to the glory of God. Yeah? And I love about Paul was that he remained passionately committed to the word of God and refused to depart from it. That was his heart. That was his heart. Not only was Paul's motives clear, but also notice his message was transparent before God. His message was transparent before God. Look at verse 17b. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with what? Sincerity, like men sent from God. So the Greek word sincerity there is elekrinia. Say that. Elekrinia, it means pure or transparent. Got it? Pure. Okay, it's not phony. Got it? It's pure or transparent. In other words, Paul's message and ministry, I love this, didn't have hidden motives or agendas. And what I love about Paul was that he was always aware that his first audience in ministry was God. It was God. It was God himself. Every word he spoke, he spoke in the sight of God. All of his ministry was carried out in the sight of God, providing him a strong motive for keeping his conscience clear. Got that? And remember, in chapter 1, Paul was defending his conscience. Remember that? And Paul's like, we didn't get into the ministry for money. We were not in for personal gain or financial benefit. We came to Corinth because we loved you. Hey, guys, we're not hypocrites. That's what he's telling them, basically. What you see is what you get. This is what you, what you see is what you get. God, Paul says, has sent us. And because God has sent us, therefore, we don't have to pretend to be someone else or something else. So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Stay true to the word. I need someone to say amen to that. Stay true to the word. 
listen, friends, listen, listen. Stay, stay passionately committed to the truth of the Word of God. Stay with it. Are you guys with me? Stay true to it. Listen, as this world, which is totally messed up, as this world continues to change, and it's constantly changing, isn't it? Opposition to God's word, our faith, and our faith, listen, opposition, opposition to God's word and our faith will increase. As this world changes, it will increase. And the pressures for us, the church, to conform to the ways of our culture will continue to grow. They want you and I to give in, to conform to their mindset, to culture. And sadly, sadly, many will give in. And many will abandon the truth, seeking the approval of men. We see today, we see believers deconstructing, walking away from the faith, Get this, just because the world has turned a certain way doesn't mean the word of God changes that way. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you guys with me? So that's Paul's character. His motives were clear, transparent. He was one who was true to the word of God. And I'm telling you, Christians, right now, in today's day and age, please, please don't compromise God's word. This is his word. And we trust his word and we believe his word. And we stand by his word and in his word. Amen? No matter what the world or culture says. All right? And and as your pastor, I I, I promise you, I I, I will never water down the word of God. Okay? Let's be people of character, of Christian, godly character. Can I get amen? So, so as, we, as we wrap this up, I want to give you three ways to maintain the aroma of Christ in our lives. How many of you guys want that? I know I want that. I want people to see the aroma of Christ in my life, don't you? That I would be a, a wonderful aroma in, in the nostrils of God, in the sight of God, Right? So three ways, real quick here, I don't want to spend too much time here, real quick here. First way is through the Word. Say that. It's through the Word of God. It all starts with the Word of God. The life of Christ, say that. Listen, His aroma is transfused to us through His Word. The more time you spend in the Word of God, the more time you spend with Jesus, right, the Word of God, the aroma of Christ, will be transfused through you. You exude that aroma in your life. In other words, people will say, man, I can tell that he or she has spent time with Jesus. And how awesome is that? There is no greater compliment than someone saying, man, I can tell that you walk and that you spent time with Jesus. Why? Because you have, listen now, you have made time to be in the Word of God. Amen? And that's the wonderful thing. When you get in the Word of God, the Word of God gets into you and people can see see it. Yeah? Say, through the Word. The second one is this, through worship. Through worship. And when I say through worship, I'm talking about singing and praising and prayer. Okay? There, There is something amazing about those who are just people of worship. We all ought to be that way, right? 
But people who just love to sing praises to God, they love to worship God, they love to, they love to, to pray. And that's how, friends, the fragrance, aroma of Christ in our lives is to the degree that we are drawing near to him in worship. In worship. William Temple said this, and I love it. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. Isn't that awesome? So through the word and worship. By the way, word and worship go together, right? If you're in the word, you're going to want to worship. If you're worshiping, you want to be in the word, okay? Okay, say through the word, say through worship. And I'm going to say a third thing here is through walking in the love of Christ. Through walking in the love of Christ. Write that down. Okay, this is how. Through the word, through worship, through walking in the love of Christ. Now I want you to write these verses down. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Then Paul writes this. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and this is what he says, and walk in the way of love. Say that. This is what he says. Just as... Christ loved us and gave himself up, say gave himself up, for us as a fragrant offering. There's that word fragrant, say fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we know that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, right, for others. And what he did, he, he sought, not only laid down his life, but he sought to serve others. That was Jesus' life. He came to save and to serve. That was him, right? That was him. Matthew 20, 28 says that. Matthew 20, 28. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Got it? He loved us. So he came to save us, but in that as well, he came to serve us. Say serve us. You see, one of the most predominant fragrances in our world today is what? It's the fragrance, the aroma of what? Of self. Of me. It's all about me. Right? Me, myself, and what? And I. How can this benefit me? How can this promote me? What will this do for me? But for those of us who are walking in the love of Christ, the opposite is true. Can I get amen? It's all about, listen now, if you're saved, it's all about serving. It's all about blessing. It's all about building others up. That's walking in the love of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about my agenda. It's about loving and serving others. It's about stepping outside of my ways and my agenda to bless and build, come on, and serve someone else. And when you live that way, people can see the aroma of Christ in your life. It's really sad when I see a believer who is all about him or herself. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him. Are you guys with me? So in this new year, 2022, be committed to the word. Paul was, right? Man, he was a man of godly character. He was committed to the word. Be committed to worship. I know some people are apprehensive to be here. I get that. People are sick. I get that. Okay, whether it's online or here, be committed to worship, to praise God, 
right? To sing praises and, and to pray. Paul was a man of worship, of the word and worship. And also be a person, listen now, be committed to walking in the love of Christ. Paul was. All right? And what I say by that is, 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 is every day of your life, would you look for opportunities to serve somebody, to bless somebody, and to build somebody up? Okay? If you do that, that you would be committed to the Word, to worship, and walking in the love of Christ, that His aroma would flow through my life in your life in 2022. Okay? Yeah? All right, let's all stand. Father, we thank